So hello and welcome to another episode of the Two Medics podcast. My name is Therusha Goodwardner. I'm a cardiology registrar subspecializing in intervention and we have no one else with me today. No, this might look like it's a kind of me and Imran sharing custody of the podcast, him doing one week and me doing the next, but he's away in the desk and I'm pretty sure he would have warned you about that. I haven't got around to listening to his episode. I'm sure it'd be really good just hearing him like rambling. Oh, he goes off anyway, doesn't he? But he's so wise, right? But um been really busy which is why I couldn't make last week's episode I was on call and then this week I've been on nights and in between that we went away with the family for Erin's birthday big two years old so we got this kind of cottage in Thetford random it was like this kind of converted barn with a hot tub and stuff and we just ate loads and went to Thetford Forest and went for walks with the kids and stuff and did the Gruffalo Trail really recommend it it's really cool it was kind of um really nice to just it was a really big park and you took the dog and the kids and they all had a run around and yeah it was really nice so had a good time but obviously then went straight on to nights which weren't that restful I always towards the end of nights get ill always I've got a sore throat and I've got a sty which is painful and gross so that's not fun but anyway quit complaining so I'm going to go through the topics for the week and I was tempted I mean there was some like dep- really like depressing and stuff in there but you know, what can you do I think uh, Christmas is coming so inevitably these episodes are going to get more perky but oh my god some, some of the stuff is just really <laughs> a real downer but to start with some slightly weird stuff that obviously seems to be coming to Twitter more and more since the mask has taken over is just like weird interactions with odd characters or bots or whatever like when I see them these kind of like faceless accounts that have this terrible picture and terrible names I'm like no real person would have chosen such a terrible like avatar and I'm like What's wrong with you? Come on, use a bit of imagination. Choose something cheap, like cheesy even. I don't know, Super Ninja 5000 or whatever. But this, like, this particular account is called Printing House Imp. What a terrible name. What a terrible name. Anyway, so I'm referring to there's this kind of interaction where Elon Musk was talking about how he was amazing at Tesla. Everyone kind of associates him with Tesla, right? But then there are people saying, actually, he didn't do that much, was bankrupt, stole the show from other creators and whatever. And of course, he's got such a fragile ego that he will respond to, to stuff like this on Twitter. And so he was, there are some tweets where he was talking about, I don't know, his involvement in Tesla. And then someone, someone wrote a little poem to him. I'm like... People are really into this guy. It's really weird. I guess like they were into Steve Jobs in a similar way, but it's weird, isn't it? Like this kind of worship of someone, like just because he is associated with his company. Like, wow, he's amazing. Oh my God. I don't know. It's a bit, is it like your favorite footballer or something? But then even with that, I guess people sing songs, don't they, at football games? It just seems really weird. I don't know if it's this is not to get this stuff. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But I'm sure there's some Musk fans out there who must listen to the podcast. Makes complete sense. So if you are, tweet us and let us know what the hell's going on. Anyway, Phil Lee, Doctor Phil Lee, he responds to this weird poem. Oh, shall I read you the poem? It's so cringe. Tesla Roadster, today is your day, changing performance in every way. Power is with you on the road. Beauty is upon you. Bestowed. Oh, give me strength. Car of elegance, efficiency, and delight. Upon the road, your wings take flight. This is this is like something that someone would write in primary school. 
aerodynamics, acceleration, divine electric supercar, you are sublime. Anyway, so Dr. Foley completely rightly re- replies with a meme that says, look at you, post in cringe. And it is cringe. Laura Catherine or uh, at uh, Catherine Science. This is cringe. Anyway, she replies saying, was this necessary? And I'm like, was your poem necessary? What did that have to do with the disc? You wrote a poem because he, I don't know. You're just hoping Elon will see it and then he'll be his next wife or something. I don't know. Cynical take, maybe. Anyway, so he, so Phil Lee then replies to this, was this necessary? This whole interchange is just really funny. I think you have to take into account the feelings that Twitter users have about Elon's changes to the website and his rubbing up to undesirable elements, which is true, right? Because they're people who previously had, or had like racist accounts that would have been deactivated in the past. And now they're just, it's like racist whack-a-mole. They're like popping their heads up again. You're like, what? Wait, we knocked that one down. Oh, there it is again. Oh, Elon, eh? Mm. Um, anyway, so he goes, which makes your optics of the poem somewhat cringe. He explained it in quite a polite way, to be honest. He goes, we've all posted cringe every now and then. And bearded William Defoe is a reminder to us all. Nice one, Phil. Anyway, so this printing house imp comes and goes, perhaps rather than flinging in, that's how an imp will speak, isn't it? Rather than flinging insults, you should consider whether your contribution makes the world a better or worse place. Whether your criticism is constructive or destructive, in good faith or bad. Just a thought. First, do no harm. And of course, a picture of the Hippocratico. Because if, as a doctor, you ever post anything ever, that's what it comes down. That's you're a doctor first and everything else just comes a very distant second. And so your tweets, you, my tweets about overeating, terrible parenting advice, all that stuff. I've got to think first, do no harm. So weird. Uh, yeah. Also like that kind of whole symbol with the, he's got the symbol with the kind of snakes and stuff. And I'm also very American. Get that crap out of it. But anyway, it goes down some weird thing where they're talking about worship and stuff. And I, I just don't get it. I just don't get why people are so impressed by Musk. He's, if I think there are kind of people who are iconic in terms of developing new things. And he just seems, he seems really dry. Like whenever I see him talk, I'm like, he just seems really dry. There's so many like amazing thinkers and people out there who are really cool and interesting to, for example, like Noam Chomsky, he is really interesting to watch talk. Um, I think James Baldwin, his interviews are amazing. Some of them I've just seen him talk. Just the way he like delivers stuff, I can be a perfect kind of dinner guest as an overseas, sadly uh, deceased. But the fact that I just think, yeah, anyway. Move on from Elon Musk. God, he's going to be around for the time being until he gets bored and sells it on. Moving on, there was, oh yeah, more depressing stuff. I think this is what made me think this is going to be depressing, which is where there was this BBC News segment posted by Matthew Upton, and it said, paying for basics is pushing people into debt. This said by the Citizens Advice Charity. And basically half of all people who are getting help with debt are in what they call a negative budget. And that means that their income simply can't meet their essential outgoings. There's literally nothing left once they pay their bills and food. And this proportion of people is up by 36%. Awful, really, isn't it, to hear? And I guess you can feel it in terms of looking at the cost of food and stuff. And suddenly now in supermarkets, there are way more of those kind of bins where people have the option to donate to food banks and we know that food bank usage is going up there's visibly more homeless people really depressing gosh sorry 
Sorry to bring everyone down. Shall I move on to something a bit more? Okay, so here's something that Imran added. There was a tweet from anonymous account, not a big fan of those generally, but anyway, at MD, who said on the 26th of November, this surgeon yelling at me in the physician's lounge, he thinks I'm a med student. That's a low-key flex though, isn't it? Saying I'm a med student, because that must mean they're really young looking or woman. I'm just going to keep letting him yell at me and then put on my attending hospitalist badge. I presume that's a consultant and then say, okay then and leave update it was deliciously awkward for said surgeon friends don't let friends become surgeons now i guess surgeons do have a little bit of a reputation don't they obviously i'm not stating you obvious but i guess the refreshing thing about twitter is that we can see that every specialty has its arseholes and they they seem to just rear their head with quite with regularity really i've got to say the cardiology's done pretty well recently there was that urologist very recently i won't say his name because he's oh god don't give him oxygen he's got a tiny account but he came out with some clangers recently where he basically used a racial slur the p-word and he used it as this weird like example in this conversation that was about the use of the term cis to describe people and it then he decided to conflate it with that and i'm like oh what's wrong with you so now what you're not just transphobic but you're like a little bit racist as well what makes you think that it's like an appropriate thing to to say anyway and i guess that leads me on to the kind of current discourse that's just going on and on to do with the royal family there was this there's this whole thing that's gone off and it's around this a question where are you from where are you from now people of color will have been asked that undoubtedly many times it's just it's and i think one of the problems is that I think they're just people who just don't get it. They just really don't get it. And the thing is, I don't feel like they really want to get it. And if they get called out on it, they're like, oh, but this and oh, but that. So just to give some kind of context and some reference for someone, for people who might have missed it, a person called Ngozi Fulani, she was at Buckingham Palace. Basically, she's someone who runs, from what I understand, a, uh, a charity for, domestic, uh, for protecting people who have suffered domestic violence, particularly from people from the black community. And there's this kind of transcript of a conversation that she has with this lady hussy or something. I don't know whoever she is. Apparently she is someone who is was quite prominent in the royal family for being someone who has a role of meeting and meeting people and bestowing honours upon them or whatever. Now she stepped down because rightfully everyone's just called it and they said that she acted like a dick and she's oh, I better get out of this. Anyway, so she just repeatedly asked this lady, where is she from? And I think one of the things that you can see so far from the discourse is what, there are some people who straight away go, what's wrong with asking where are you from? Why are people taking offence with that? And if we were to kind of specifically look at that interaction, whereby, so Miss Fulani has given her an answer, but then it went on where this lady was like, no, where are you really from? Because basically what she's, and I think she ends up asking the question maybe four or five times, even implying that Miss Fulani is avoiding answering the question properly, which this that stops being like a playful, interested question, and it's a bit like more of an interrogation. No, I want you to answer the question. And I was trying to think of like a way to explain this to white people, because I, th- I feel like we have to go beyond the fact that saying that you don't <laughs> apparently just saying that you don't like being asked the question isn't enough. 
Like, don't I don't like it. I like you. It's great that you're interested, but keep that shit to yourself. Don't, we don't like the question. Most of us don't. If you want to talk about our heritage, then we'll bring it up. But pl- please don't ask about it. I'm just, it's, it's just not necessary, particularly for meeting someone for the first time. If you know someone really well or whatever, engage it, whatever. But most people don't like it. And it's a bit like, I guess, if there are other kind of like cue, ugh, cues that you might pick up in an interaction with someone, maybe they've got like, maybe they seem, maybe they've put on some weight. And what, are you going to ask about that? Or maybe, oh, maybe you come across someone who's got like this really cool scar, like on their face, really cool. Like you're like, oh, it makes you look really dashing or whatever. But they might have had that, have gotten that scar in a kind of, in like a really horrible circumstance. In which case, just asking them flat out, tell me about that scar or whatever. It's just kind of a bit intrusive. It's just thinking, it's about thinking really about how that question might be received. You might still want to ask that question, but it's about reflecting on it. And then if someone tells you that they don't want you to answer that question, then continuing to pursue that line of questioning, that makes you an arsehole. That makes you an arsehole. Just don't do it. And because, and uh, that's one of the things about that discourse that I find really annoying that people go, oh, like the people might have like Celtic ancestry and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, get out of here. That might make sense in your head and you might think that's like a brilliant question. We've all been asked it before because it's a stupid common question. Think of something else. Literally think of something, anything else. You know, the way there are lots of, just if, use that great mind that seems to be like conjuring up excuses for, for that to just expand sideways as to other possible topics of conversation yeah the great british staples of conversation what's the weather like the football when was the last time you had a cup of tea coronation street or eastenders there's the classics you can't go wrong with those rather than you know that where are you from where are you really from i've got to say that i think as time's gone like I used to do i used to answer it being like i was born in london but my parents are from from sri lanka i used to say that and then as we're older, I'm like, I really don't see how relevant that is. Really, anno- I find it an- annoying now because it usually I find now it comes towards the end of a consultation, and I feel like it's supposedly, I don't know if it's the pe- people think it's going to bring you down a peg or I don't know what the point of it is, but it always seems to be that, and it's, it's almost like they've been thinking about it the entire time. It makes you think like you've been thinking about it the entire conversation. You just waited till it's usually a consult at the end of a consultation. The consent consultation's ended. You've been desperate to know why I look different. And that comes at the end. That's the only thing you could ask. You know, why can't it be something like, we've got really nice shoes, where are they from? Or whatever. Why does it have to be? But yeah, I tweeted about an interaction that I had a couple months ago where I had this quite, like, good consultation, I thought, that handled it quite well with this person. thought it ended really well. Anyway, he's just about to go, and he's like, so that surname of yours, eh? It's from Sri Lanka, isn't it? And then before I even get a chance to say anything, he was like, yeah, shame about how there's so many orphans there. Beautiful country, though. Something like that. And I was, I remember being, like, completely shocked. Like, where did that even come from? He had this little kind of, like, thing that he just told me. What am I supposed to say? Yeah, there are lots of abandoned children there. What is, what kind of thing is that to say? And I don't know. I think when, it's, I think it's particularly funny in England because... I reckon that English people in themselves view themselves like exceptionally as musato and like savvy in conversations, but of wry sarcasm. And when they look at the states, they're like, oh, the states, <laughs> yeah, I know. But actually, this kind of stuff really does shine a light on actually how terrible people can be. 
just not be just holding a conversation with someone without being a knobhead. But yeah, so Farbod did a really good, he asked a question, he goes, a question to all my black, brown and Asian brothers and sisters. Have anyone, has anyone ever asked you where you're really from? I don't mean once in passing as part of a conversation, despite you having given an answer already, obviously trying to get you to reveal your ethnicity. Um, and <laughs> yes was 87% look at that I have had it happen where I've someone's asked me like where I'm from and I'll go London and they're like fine away and, like, <laughs> and then they'll go how, then they'll immediately go off on how they're not racist and stuff because I've answered with London and I'm like but that is actually where I'm from me I'm not it's not like some kind of gotcha that's where I'm from but there you go really it went from people talking about this person who's 83 years old. Like, I'm going, oh, I don't even know who she was. I don't even know her full name. I know she's 83. And then the people are saying, oh, but she's 83 years old. As if, and it, that's also something that's amazing. Like you're either, you're too old to know, but no, you're old, so you're from a different time or you're too young to know or you're learning. And there's like an excuse for everything. So it started with all that. So the kind of smoke and mirrors type of crappy oh you're cancelling someone at 83 years like cancelling like you know this woman's loaded and you know oh my gosh she's not going to be what like greeting people at buckingham palace anymore oh god what a nightmare like when there are people who are like in crushing debt and going to food bank but she's not going to meet people at buckingham palace and it's gone from that to now like focusing on the person that she's harmed and being like oh this is her just like wanting to get her five seconds of fame and that's how it goes it's so predictable and sad really and now it's going on to megan and harry off inevitably and so it's just it's predictable where i guess i wonder what the kind of or throw the media off the scent and move them on to something newer they just before they recycle this whole thing and start to, I guess oh, I'm doing racisms at the moment and I should mention this amazing tweet because it's just about obliviousness is the theme at the moment there's this tweet from someone called Jonathan T Rothwell and he goes there's a terrific paper out today on the effects of interracial contact it was done in Cape Town and it goes we explore, so the paper says, so the title of the paper is Interaction, Stereotypes and Performance, Evidence from South Africa. And if you wanted to check out the paper, because if, if you quite rightly won't be able to believe that this might exist, it's written by Lucia Corno, Eliana LaFerrara and Justine Burns. So because we exploit a policy to randomly allocate roommates in a large South African university to investigate whether interracial interaction affects stereotypes attitudes and performance. Using implicit association tests, we find that living with a roommate of a different race reduces white students' negative stereotypes towards black students and increases interracial friendships. Interaction also affects academic outcomes. Wait for it. Black students improve their GPA, pass more exams and have lower dropout rates. This effect is not driven by roommates' ability. So I guess the conclusion is that being around white people is good for brown people, isn't it? That's the implication of the paper, right? What the hell is this? What kind of, is this? This is research. How did this, how did this get, in my research, it's been an absolute nightmare to get papers accepted. Where are these people getting this stuff published? Because I need to just send it there because what absolute, like, what? What is this? So anyway, this person goes on to explain. So white students assigned to black a black roommate significantly increased their friendship and social interactions with black students. Oh my gosh, okay, wow. Oh, they expressed greater comfort dating black students. Amazing, amazing. The thing that kind of gets me 
is that I don't even know where to start, but I guess it's just what, uh, like the whole air of it is this kind of whole idea of, doesn't it portray them as like white saviors, doesn't it? Being around white people will improve their grades essentially. And this, I think it really feeds into this kind of whole melting pot idea. And I think people think that it's like a post-racial society. Simply put, we just kind of ignore problems, just bosh people together, and that'll be it. Things will get better, look. And I think that's certainly one part of it. I think one of the interesting things about this thread is that a lot of Black people replied, and this person just doesn't get it. I think that's what, I think one of the issues, really, is that this research, like, I think the people just need to listen to black people more. I think that would be way better than doing the shitty research. But I guess just my take on it, I don't know what to say. Oh, it is a nice take on it. So I guess read this thread if you're looking for a clear example of how racist colonial perspectives inform research while paradoxically claiming to contribute to anti-racist efforts. That's it. So I guess that also, I guess there's always someone who can explain my thoughts better than I can. But I think it's a, for the perspective of how... Lots of like the exploring diversity initiatives, expanding diversity and eye stuff. People say that those are, whilst they, they give you the guise of trying to improve diversity, right? That's in the name. Actually, what they do is they're a distraction and actually they can make things worse. They can give the impression that things are getting better or that their efforts to, but actually it's just more smoke and mirrors. Um, God. Anyway. So, moving on. So, there was a thread from <laughs> Aidan Barron. I laugh because how am I going to link like, racism to airplane emergencies? Man's not here, so I'm just going to just crash from one thing to the other. Aidan Barron, he tweeted saying, had an interesting chat with a bunch of ED, ICU and critical care consultants this week. They'd all responded to an in-flight emergency on Qantas flights. So he's called them out, he's asked them, went out of their way to help. When they missed their connection, gave up their seat, etc., to help, Qantas left them out to dry. One consultant called up Qantas's chief medical officer. I gave up my seat. You held me for hours without aircon. Wow, okay. To speak to police and airport doctor missed my connection. I'd at least expect a refund on the seat. Told by CMO, I don't care. It's your Hippocratic oath to help. Oh, that stinks. The solution they came up with as a group always render assistance in an emergency, but refuse to fill out any paperwork when asked by airline staff. Give them your work address and bill the airline at a private consulting rate for all the time taken to complete forms paperwork. Fair enough. I think Rohan Francis, he did a he did a good video on this, I think, a little while back, because he's had a few in-flight emergencies. Fortunately, I haven't. I, don't, I think the etiquette of it is I tend to have a drink or two when I fly. I think it just makes it a bit easier. But I think... There's this whole thing, isn't there, whereby if you accept gift or token afterwards, people um, in some ways have argued that is almost like you're accepting responsibility. And therefore, if anything goes wrong, that's almost like you've taken payment for it and therefore you can be sued. Maybe that's a hyperbolic thing, but I have heard people say that. And so that makes it sound a little bit more scary because obviously like you're in this kind of weird situation and you might be completely out of your comfort zone. It's not like you're seeing someone in A&E department with the observations or whatever. You'll probably have limited resources and it's a strange situation. And there are some perils to it, especially in 
current times whereby people are much more likely to see you, right? But anyway, there were some positive responses. So David Warner, he said, happy to state my experience in 2011 was very different. We got up- upgraded to first class and were even sent a gift in the post. Completely unexpected, but very welcome. Couldn't fault them, but perhaps this was a different era. Captain even came down to shake my hand. See, oh, that sounds nice. Someone else said, 2019, Qantas flight to LA with family, 14 hours, emerg- three emergencies. Wow. Essentially spent mo- more time out of seat. Paperwork, captain, appreciative, got expensive bottle of bubbly, and son got tour of cockpit. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I guess it com- what it comes down to, part of what it comes down to is why you're doing it. But yeah, you're right. If you're inconvenienced by like you'd hope, I guess it's like how we argue about how we should get paid more, right? And people say, because of what we do. And that's obviously a really important reason. But also, I feel like if we stop doing what we do, people would realise how important it is. So sometimes we hope to appeal to people's better nature, but they kind of can let us down on that. That's what we're seeing a lot of. I have stopped for when passers-by, there have been like medical emergencies with passers-by. I think there's a kind of, I don't think it's like the law like it is in other countries, but from what I, my limited recollection, apparently if it becomes something that goes to the GMC, it can be like frowned upon or viewed negatively if you don't offer assistance. So it is a bit of a like tangled web, isn't it? But I don't think it's unreasonable for people to, to hope to be remunerated at the very least or helps to get like a, another connecting flight. I think that should be like the bare minimum. But yeah, the idea of doing the paper, I mean, there's enough paperwork at work, isn't it? I feel like that's almost a reason in itself to just be like, oh, I'm just going to pretend to be asleep here. Or just put your no- noise cancelling headphones on and close your eyes and pretend to be really engrossed in an audio. So there was a thread from Rosie Barua. For those of you who don't know her, she's got the Times subscription. She's also known for being an anaesthetist. So she tweeted saying, who gets to volunteer a scan subject? So this is for, it's in reference to a POCUS ultrasound echo course and healthy volunteers basically for the course of mainly men, I think. And I think it did create a little bit of awkwardness when it came to scanning women and working your way around breast tissue. And I think also she was asking the question about how people get volunteers for them. I think one of the issues is that it probably makes people feel a little bit more uncomfortable approaching women as a man anyway saying yes that will mean people coming underneath your bra and stuff and so to avoid that awkwardness then perhaps people don't ask them the question but then if you think about it that means that we're doing a disservice to female patients because of course we're going to come across female patients and then have to negotiate their anatomy and so you're going to need to and so it's just like another, if you think about marginal gains, this is like a marginal loss whereby all these other things come to play, which we know, we know that women have worse outcomes. And this is probably just like one of those other like kind of tiny little things that all contribute to worse outcomes for women. And so how to get around that. So I know that when I was learning to do echo and going into echo listen, women would understandably say, or rather not have someone else like practice on me and stuff, because it is like an awkward situation. How do we get around this? I think people do have to, I mean, people do have to be brave and mindful of the fact that kind of 50% of our patients are female. And so we have to be more representative in the cohort of people that we have that we're studying from. And that's with everything, with race and gender. And I think we, the more we appreciate that we need more kind of heterogeneous groups to understand and study from, the better we will be of appreciating those kind of the interpersonal variability. Oh my gosh, that's 
something a bit technical amongst patients and I think it'll make us treat me treat people better so some of the replies um so Duncan McGregor says I suppose the only thing I can consider is who the volunteers are like if they are people who might be a colleague current or future it could be crossing a professional boundary that puts people in an uncomfortable position getting a good apical four chamber of someone that you might have to work with for six months in the near future it could be uncomfortable if the volunteers are taken from the pool of doctors who are taking the course if they are paid volunteers effectively anonymous then it shouldn't be an issue like i remember in med school being taught ent examinations on each other and it was really weird feeling inside of the mouth gloves on of obviously of people you are studying with it's like a boundary that was forced to be broken it might be a similar issue and so Rosie set a reply saying, I think this is at least part of it. The traditional medical model of care involves making people into bodies to be fixed. But when the body is also not just a person, but a future colleague, our brains go a bit spaghetti. That's true. See, that subscription is going to waste. Next topic. Oh, gosh, this is really sad. So the, I was really sad to see of a chief registrar by the name of Vesh Kumar, who, who died by suicide recently she the report was going on to say about how tirelessly she worked through the covid pandemic and she obviously was really well respected and was like nominated to be chief registrar and there's a mention of some kind of some difficult interactions with some senior colleagues whereby that i think she'd been belittled in front of a large group of people and completely under i think she'd been trying to access mental health services and unfortunately wasn't able to get access to them very well we know that the wait for the for that is for, for mental health services is long and I want to put it in a polite way because I don't mean oh this is definitely why this happened um but it's all really awful and really sad and hard to know what to say because we know that like belittling is a thing that happens in hospitals and it's awful and the other thing to say is the trust that she was at in Birmingham. There have been a few suicides reported from there recently. So I noticed there were some tweets from someone who works there who were really defensive about it, which I guess is not a great sign, really. But there were some tweets I mentioned. So there's this uh, charity called Doctors in Distress, and that's a charity that's trying to prevent suicides amongst kind of UK healthcare workers. You know, what to say other than, I guess it's that kind of reminder that we just don't know what kind of people are going through. And even though she was like outwardly very successful and obviously good at her job and that just don't really know what people are going through. And I don't want it to end with, I don't want to end by saying, oh, be kind and stuff. But I guess that's part of it, isn't it, really? That kind of weird interaction, as in that kind of difficult interaction, how much of a toll it can take on people who are going through particular circumstances. I remind myself of that. Okay, I feel like I'm probably coming up to the end of how long I can talk for. I'm going to mention a few kind of fest hole posts because you know they're funny, and then and I'm going to end this painful episode for you. I'm sorry. Thank you for listening. It's this far. So, fest hole. If I eat food with ch- chopsticks, I consider it in line with my diet because it takes me longer to eat, and so I eat less. My latest accomplishment is a full English for dinner. Oh my god, how did you do bacon with that? Oh, and the runny eggs. That's quite impressive, actually. Yeah, so a full English breakfast. How do you even get that bacon suit? They're probably like holding the bacon up in the air and just kind of chewing it like a mat. Yeah, a madman. Oh my God, this next one. This sounds really disgusting. My wife fancies Matt Hancock. Jesus Christ. I'm extremely troubled by this. Yeah, you should be, mate. 
what's that what's that say about you if she has a type how much like i'm like, i know right at least i have the decency to have a crush on rachel riley yeah what a dysfunctional relationship jesus christ i hope they get help i started a rumor that the barber opposite our local pub would brush up his shop after closing time completely naked i managed to fool loads of people for months into hanging around outside his shop every night at 5 p.m why did they want what's this barber look like he's really good looking is that okay i have further questions but anyway oh maybe i should tell you guys about so i've I've been a bit of a kind of lucky role in terms of having had some really good audiobooks that i've listened to recently if i can drop some recommendations so at the moment i'm reading a permanent record by edward snowden it's so good so good it's really interesting because i guess i don't really feel like i know much about him which i think is probably part of the thing right don't oh media conspiracy and all that but his book is really good it's just really interesting it gives you one an idea of the kind of dizzying amount of surveillance that there's out there and the amount of kind of our rights and our privacy that we've just freely given away but i think we know yeah but really though are they really going to be that interested in me and it just gives you an insight to the level of pervasiveness of surveillance is bonkers really but also he's led a really interesting life like he came from a military family like his families were both kind of working in, with kind of coast guard but military which militarial side he was in the army and even though that kind of pictures of him portray him as this kind of i don't know uh, as computer jockey nerd type person um he's he read he's led an interesting life and i was just interested to see recently that he's there's a report saying he has pledged allegiance to Russia. And that was like the headline. And having read the book, seeing it through that lens of like how stuff is portrayed, because from what I understand anyway, he was fleeing extradition back to the US and he was trying to get Ecuador, much like Julian Assange tried to do. But then he got stuck like in Paris. No, in Paris, in Russia, in Paris, stuck in Paris, that'd be awesome. No, he got stuck in Russia. And then I was like, if you weren't allowed to leave Russia, that sounds like, a, that's a scary place to be. If you're like, and they tell you, you need to swear allegiance to us, then you're going to swear allegiance to Russia. So they make it sound like he's all, I love Russia and stuff. But actually, like, if he's not allowed to go, he's stuck there, then mate, that guy's going to be, he's going to be Russian stereotypes or whatever. He's going to be doing that shit. I mean, like, I love Russia. Of course he is. But the newspaper headlines are like, oh, see, he was a commie all along, kind of headline. It's just so sadly predictable. What a world. So anyway, I'm reading. So just coming up to the end of that, that's really good. And then I was on a bit of a binge of Matt Haig, but I'm really ashamed to say that I've known about Matt Haig before. Like I bought The Humans, that book by him, ages ago. It was on my bookshelf. Hadn't touched it. Though. Finally got around to reading it really good and then i read the midnight library amazing and the thing i must say about them so they're quite i found them really like immersive so i felt like i was able to fit into their characters there's a there's one kind of female protagonist one male protagonist and just completely fit into them which i think is a sign of a really good author and uh, so they're immersive the characters are just really kind of likable but the other thing that seems, and I don't know if this is on purpose, because I don't actually know that much about Matt Haig as an author himself, like what his background is, but they are really quite balming. Like they, one of the characters has quite depression and anxiety and he talks through the process that they go through, which sounds really depressing, obviously, but the kind of the perspectives that they have and 
in some ways like reading that book and the kind of that journey that person goes through on the book and getting out of that depression which I realize trying to explain it in a couple of sentences makes it sound a little bit trivial but it is really well done and I have to say I found it more than a story almost it's almost like a self-help book it sounds ridiculous it sounds like a terrible advert but I've got to recommend it so Midnight Library is the one that I really enjoyed if you're looking for a new book to read the audiobook is really good as well like the um the person who voices it is really good. So I definitely do check it out. It's, I think it'd be a really good Christmas present. And this isn't a plug. Unless Lana Haig listens to the podcast, in which case, wicked, yeah. Get your people to... So our Manscaped sponsorship, that's uh, two people subscribed and <laughs> use the promo code. But there you go. You, we, we got some free, like, bought ball stuff, so can't complain. And we never got into this whole thing thinking that it was going to be, like... I don't know, make us millionaires. It would have been nice if we were millionaires. And if anyone wants to make us millionaires, then, or just me, Imran, he's already probably almost there, then just reach out, please, God, reach out. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. So next week, it'll be the return of Donny Lasco. So can't wait. Pretty excited, actually, to catch up with him. It looks like, so he sent me some pictures of being out in the desk. It looks like he's having a really good time. He's a bit nervous about going out there. He was saying beforehand, I don't know, that they might think he's a showy chump or whatever but i think it's that's one of the last things that people think when they meet him run but anyway it sounds like he's having a good time like he's getting into football which i don't think he really liked before and the food and he's hanging out with his pops sounds really good and i'm sure we'll hear i'm looking forward to hearing more about it when he gets back but until then thanks again for listening and take care of each other Oh god, that sounds like Jerry Springer. I don't want to say stay out of trouble because that gives us stuff to talk about. But yeah, thank you for listening. I wish you every happiness for the next week. And that's it. Take care, guys. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>